Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Sync. Welcome back, everyone, to the Unqualified Therapist. This week, we are going to reshare one of our most powerful episodes to date. Yes, it is a conversation, an interview with Miss Katie Maloney, who is the author of Cake Pops and Coffee, a new conversation about trauma. This conversation is critically important because not only does she discuss her story surrounding sexual abuse and trauma as a child, but she shares tips on how to overcome that trauma. And sharing stories is just extremely important. And being vulnerable makes us better human beings. And I think that all trauma, but specifically sexual trauma, can be one thing that you held close to yourself um, and you feel alone, right? That nobody else feels that way. Research shows that one in 10 children will be the victim of sexual abuse before their 18th birthday. That to me is just a lot. Yeah. I mean, one period would be a lot. Right. Uh, That is brought to us by Darkness to Light. They are an organization to end child sexual abuse. Their website is d2l.org. And so it's just a very important topic for all trauma and healing from that. But specifically hearing Katie's story and how she overcomes. Yeah. Is beautiful. She is... Probably one of the people I look up to the most when it comes to all of the conversations we've been able and been so privileged to be able to have over these past year and a half. Um, She is definitely someone that I value in, in terms of her experience and her willing to be so vulnerable with us. Yeah, absolutely. The fact of what she went through and where she is now. I mean, so many people, including myself, thinking about that, I would have just laid down and been like done. Right. Exactly. She knew and she is helping, you know, people all over the world now to be able to heal from their trauma. So we do want to send out a trigger warning, though, and also, you know, a warning for if you have children or whoever else might be listening. You'll just want to be mindful of this content um, containing sexual trauma, um, childhood sexual abuse, um, rape um, and some other very hard things to hear. So, yeah, so make sure that you take care of yourself there. And if this is not one that you can listen to right now, go ahead and pass over it. And if you can, we hope that it can bring you some healing. So without further ado, our conversation with Thriver, Katie Maloney. Yeah, let's dive in. Um, Let's do it. Let's just go right for it. Let's get it. Um, I was sexually abused by both my parents until I was about 18. Um, and then at that time I moved to another city. I got a scholarship to college and, um, I started, it was the first time that I was ever away from the abuse. And so during that time was when everything kind of started coming up and I was able to process things. I recognized, I started recognizing triggers. Um, and I knew that I needed to start kind of digging through and working through a lot of things. And so that's when I started looking to books for guidance. um, And all I could find were those super heavily titled self-help books or psychology books. And all of them just 
I felt completely overwhelmed before I even opened them. And so that was when I was like, I just wish that I could talk with someone who felt like I was having a conversation with my best friend. We were drinking some coffee, eating some cake pops and just sharing stories. And that was when, (laughs) as you said, that was when I started writing my book. Wow. Well, that I, I feel as though I read something, I think on your blog talking about, um, how there is this weird juxtaposition or dichotomy of like all this bad shit, but there was like good stuff too in your life. And how challenging that is for people who haven't lived that world to understand. Mm. And I just related to that so well. And I appreciated you saying that because I um, am doing my own writing of a book right now on something very similar, not similar, but like it's similar in trauma, right? Mm. But there's so much good. And so even you were able to, you know, they're just trying to understand like that you can have both, that both were able to coexist, Yes. Without guilt. Yeah. Because oh. it's almost like you feel guilty so, for so, feeling happy. I mean, let me just try to clarify. So you're saying in your childhood, there were these like bright moments. Yes. Um, so, well, so I remember the reason I wrote that blog was because I, people started asking, asking me about my childhood um, and about like positive memories or even friends would be like, do you remember this? And I was like, I don't remember anything. Like I have very few memories of my childhood. And I realized it was because when I separated from my family, I call them like my previous family. I don't consider them family. But when I distanced myself from them, I needed to shut down all emotions so that I could move forward. And I needed to categorize bad and good because those lines had been so blurred for so many years. And so it was like, almost like I was starting at preschool and I was like, this is bad. This is good. Um, And it wasn't until about 10 years later where I had processed so much more that I was able to say, well, actually I had some good moments. Like I did fun things with my sister. I had a couple of friends that I had did fun things with in childhood. And so it was really healing for me to be able to go back and say, I did have positive moments in my childhood and that doesn't Mm -hmm. invalidate any of the negative experiences that I have. Right. But it also allowed me to just experience, honestly experience life so much more fully because I'm not closing myself off to labeling good or bad. I'm able to kind of recognize that everything can kind of be both sometimes. Um, And so that was just a really important step in my healing journey. So powerful. It is very powerful. And I just have to ask, was it something that you didn't know was wrong until you realized that it wasn't happening to your other friends or kind of what was that? What was that moment? Great question. So there was, I feel like I, I know, I know for a fact that I always knew because you just, even as a kid and that was, and I, even as a kid, when I was being told, like, this is normal. This is what parents do. This is what loving families do. It's like there's something in you as a kid in your gut that's like, but it doesn't feel okay. This doesn't feel right. Um, so I know that I always knew. but And it's interesting because what I recognized first, it wasn't that, like, oh, these kids aren't being abused. But it was like, oh, this dad, like, talks to his daughter. I was like, that's so weird. I just saw them having like a normal conversation. I was like, that's weird. I don't didn't know parents do that. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's crazy, but that's that was the first of it. And then I just remember it took me so long to even I would I started in my head being like, I think maybe I don't want to say anything, but I think maybe I might be like mom and dad might be doing bad things to me. But like Mm. that was all I would leave it. And for years I said that. And then I had the courage like a couple years later to write it down and be like, I think maybe this is happening. And then after years of that, I was able to say in my head, I think I'm being abused. And then I could write mm-hmm. it. And then it's, it's, I was 18 by the time that I was like, I have been abused and I know it. But it was a process. It took a really long time. So it was your entire childhood? It was. Yes. Yes. Um, so I don't remember exactly when it started, but I... I mean, I, I've read so many things about before you're even really, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. Right. With memory language. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, I mean, when you're a baby, bef- 
when you're the most formative years, um, that's when it's most, you can be most affected. So I believe it started really very, very early on. And what, and you had a sister? Yes. Yeah. And she, was she also abused? Yes, she was. I have, um, a twin sister actually, but, but it is a different, that is probably the one thing that I don't share too much about just because we both have separate like ways of processing it. Handling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So I, I had one instance of a sexual assault, not multiple, not during, you know, going on for like my entire childhood. And I have struggles with, with like completely enjoying sex and, and allowing myself to feel pleasure and not, not enjoying, but getting out of my head. Like, I'm just so in my head about it. And I just am curious, like, have you found that freedom and, and how? Oh, such a great question. I wish <laughs> She I loves this it. question. I can see it on her face. I <laughs> love it. I cannot wait to hear the answer. I just think that there's so much to talk about as far as intimacy, pleasure, self-pleasure, like all of those things in regards to um, post-trauma. Um, and so I, I do really love this topic because it was also one of the, mo- the things that I struggled with the most and I put so much work into healing. So I wish that I could say, yes, absolutely. I have no problem having sex all the time, like anytime I want. But that's not, that's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not. Um, there's, I still get in my head and I still find myself um, doing one of two things. Well, there was one, there were two things that I would love to talk about that I really experienced. And that was the first was because I want to, I talk about this in my book pretty extensively. Um, And I know that it's kind of a heavy topic, but it's really important for me to talk about because I've had people who have read it and they've messaged me and been like, I thought I was the only one. And this is amazing that somebody else has. So one of the things I talk about is um, having to imagine something for lack of a better word like fucked up or non-consensual in order to orgasm because as a kid I was trained to Mm. not trained but I mean I was forced to orgasm and in that moment I dissociated and I just imagined other terrible things because in that way it was easier in a sense than imagining a parent like knowing a parent was doing it and so after years of that as an adult when I'm away from the abuse with a partner who loves me, who I love, I saw myself only being able to orgasm with him if I imagined these like these scenarios. And I hated it and it felt terrible and I didn't want to do it. And I tried so many different things. I like talked to my partner about it um, and got like him involved and he'd be like, stay with me, let's be present. And that was beautiful, but that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it wasn't until, and this was, this was years, but it, what it really wasn't until, um, I started working on self-pleasure. Um, and that was when I like really dedicated some time to like pelvic bowl meditations and just healing the space, like my room space and the energy there. Ooh, that was, I don't know what that is. Ooh. I would love to talk. You're going to have to tell us about (laughs) that. (laughs) Um, There's there's a lot of pelvic, uh, pelvic bowl healing um, methods. So what I'm talking about, there are actual like physical healing methods, but what I'm talking about is just energy and using meditations. And so um, when I refer to the pelvic bowl, it's actually like, I'm talking about the energy, but it is anatomically correct. So it's basically um, at the top of your hip bones, down around your backside and then up and so just encompassing all of the um man i'm like gesturing but nobody can see anything but and that is the space that kind of in theory holds your core energy it holds your femininity and when you experience abuse a lot of us without even realizing because we've never even heard about the public pool but we shut off the energy completely and so when we are older we'll find ourselves really struggling to receive or to experience pleasure or to allow ourselves to be creative um and it's because we've really disconnected from that energy and one of the things that you can do is kind of 
of, I, I offer guided meditation and I talk about this in my book as well is just imagine going into your bowl and you start just by soothing all of the, the space around your bowl. And the first time I ever entered my pelvic bowl, I was like, oh my God, there's like wounds, there's kind of like caves, old caves, and it's like boarded up. Um, and that's just what you imagine, what your pelvic bowl will look like, whatever you imagine it to be. Um, but then you just spend time healing it and you continue to visit it and you just reconnect with that energy. And it's so empowering because you realize that you're, whole your like your womb space your femininity it's actually very safe and it's guarded and you're finally like living in it again wow that's just like in all of the things I've ever read or known I've never heard of that that is is so amazing and you know what it ties to is the the chakra so it made me think of that yeah the root chakra even is in that yeah Yeah. so and that's your safety and security Mm -hmm. chakra and then your passion and creativity, creativity is yeah. your sacral. So holy cow. And the wow, cool what healing. About, the cool thing about that is that, um, so that's like the first part. And then the second step, so it's almost like following those chakras because you're starting in your sacral chakra. Then you go and you meet your, uh, and I talk about this in my book, but you meet your yoni guardian. Um, and that is what protects the energy from like whatever energy you want in and out it's there you're you're in control of that and then finally you can connect that energy to the earth so it's like your root chakra you're grounded you have protection so all three of those steps can be really healing and um just kind of shift your perspective of your pleasure because one of the things that i struggled with was i i always imagined my um, my vulva, my vagina is something that I needed to fiercely protect. I was like, you have, protect her, protect her. But actually, yeah, it was like, yeah. she's good. Just let her have some fun. Yeah. Let her experience pleasure. Yeah. So yes. these things help with that. Wow. I'm definitely going to have to read through that and do that <laughs> section of your book for real. Yeah, because it's, it's such a, wow. So... It, when you were with your partner, is that when you started to think like, okay, I got to figure something else out because this is just not working for me? Yes. It was actually, it was funny because with my first partner, that was when I started writing my, the whole book. And there's very small, there's, the whole book is not about my first partner ever at all, but, um, <laughs> it, but it's what inspired it because I remember I had spent some time already on my own healing journey, but it is a completely different thing when you invite someone else mm-hmm. onto that journey. And there's so many other things that open up. And I was like, Oh my God okay, all right, let's figure this out. Um, So that's when I started to write about stuff. Because again, those books, all the books that were available, no one was saying, hey, so you just started dating somebody and you're uncomfortable just holding his hand. Let's walk through it. How do we do this? Nobody was saying that. And I was like, okay, I need to talk about stuff like this. Yes, it's that so, kind of that kind of intimacy even that can be tough after trauma. Right. I'm going to go back just this for a minute. I'm going to assume then that you didn't have boyfriends or anything in high school. I you know what? I did not. I went on a couple like a date or two while I was in high school and I had guy friends, but and then in college I went on a bunch of dates but I was way too scared to be in a relationship. So it wasn't until I was 21 that I was like, I'm trying this. We're going to do it. And yeah. Because I can't even imagine having a relationship, trying to have a yeah. relationship and outside of like that. it seems like probably your parents would have not approved of that either because that messes with their whole yeah, I, thing. Yeah. Well, I know my sister dated a lot. It was more so like they didn't care. <laughs> it was, and, and actually um, my, like, I call, I call them Tim and Lisa, but Lisa kicked out Tim when I was 16. So that stopped, the abuse stopped with my dad when I was about 16, but then it was continued with Lisa. Like, and I'm sorry, we're like pausing and stuff. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, sorry. I also think like, cause being a mom Mm -hmm. of our moms, it's really hard to wrap my mind around it's really without yeah. getting incredibly angry. Yeah. 
I love the fierce mama energy. Yeah. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> In my brain, I'm thinking of what I would do to someone. Yeah. <laughs> if they did that, that ever did that to my children. Yeah. I, wow. Yeah. And they are your biological parents. Yes. Yes. Wow. So I, 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 I just want to know when, when you have something that heavy, what gave you the like courage to look for some lighter, like discussion around it? I honestly, it was more survival <laughs> um, because humor has always been since I was a kid, just the way I got through things. And so when it came time to write a book, I was like, let's just come, God, let's just give ourselves a fucking break for a little yes. while. Yes. Yes. Um, and I just think that it's essential. And it goes back to that. Everything is kind of a mix of good and bad. Um, yeah. Same thing with conversations around trauma. And right now we have so many more resource, like conversations happening and platforms that encourage conversations. I'm so happy about that. But at the same time, the conversations need to evolve. Like we need to evolve because all of them are heavy. All of them are focused on resharing your story based only. And we need, we need more conversations. And so that's, really what we, we try to make sure that we tell people because we don't want them to think that we're making light of our lives yeah. because we've had our own tragedies and traumas that people just like just like we pause when we hear your story they pause when they hear our story and immediately we like make a joke but mm -hmm. it's just because it's our coping mechanism. it's our coping one. mechanism one and two I'm not going to stop talking about it and I don't want people to be uncomfortable yeah and that's a way to kind of, it's a way to kind of just be like, you know what, this is just part of the story mm -hmm. and we need to discuss. Right. Yeah. And it just, laughter feels so good and it's so healing. So like, please let's bring that form of healing into these conversations. Did you find yourself being able to have joy and laughter growing up? You know what? I think, I actually think about that all the time and it is mind blowing to me that I, was such a happy kid like at home oh. miserable completely miserable but when I was at school and just out in the world I was such a good kid and I was just so vibrant and I know that made my parents angry and I kind of I look back on it and I'm like go little Katie because oh, I just oh yeah yes to lose my little shine and it makes me so happy yeah that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. That makes me so happy yeah. knowing that you were able to find that for yourself. Holy man. So probably because of that, no one, none of your teachers were able to pick up on that or recognize yeah. anything. Yeah. I mean, I have oh. teachers now that are reaching out and they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, there's mm. the only indication was that I signed up for everything so I could stay in, at school until like 9 p.m. But Beyond that, there was no, they wouldn't have known. And to be honest, I couldn't verbalize it at that time. So even if somebody had sure. said, I think your parents are abusing you. I don't even, I mean, I think maybe I would have been like, yes, finally, thank you. Or I would have been like, that's way too scary to even think, but like, God, leave me alone. So I don't know. Right. Like, let's not say that word. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. that takes it to a whole new level mm -hmm. and you're just not willing to admit that. And, and the other thing is that when you have, when it's your parents, it's a horrible situation. You feel terrible. But at the same time, these are the only people that are supposed to take care of you right now. And so, and everyone's like, your parents are all you have. And so mm. as like a little 12 year old, am I going to be like, um, this is happening. These My parents, I think are doing something bad, but like, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I say anything. So, you know, it's just, it's way too scary. Did you have other relatives that you spent time with? I had um, a few, but again, I... The memories are pretty foggy. Well, not even that, but um, a lot of times trauma like that is so generational and they all experienced oh. it. Do you know what I mean? And so it was like very downplayed and it was ignored. And even now I get threats. I get threatening emails frequently from previous family members because they're either in denial about it or they are very angry that it's come out. How do two people like that find each other? I was going to ask that too, um, but I wasn't sure. That's a great question. And I actually thought about that and I've actually had some conversations with some therapists about it. 
And they said, um, so we believe, and again, I, I don't know this, but we believe that Lisa was like borderline personality disorder and okay. and Tim was definitely a sociopath and or a narcissist sociopath. And she said that very frequently those two connect. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> I can see narcissistic sociopath definitely taking that route and borderline would just follow suit. Yes. And so confusing, too, just because I... I mean, again, I try to like unpack memories that I have and I just specifically with Lisa, I've been more intrigued by because I kind of wrote my dad off a long time ago. It was just like, oh, he's a pretty evil person. Like, okay, we've moved on. Um, but I think there is a natural, more of a, a, an attachment to a mother um, for kids. And so it was more difficult, but it was so interesting because all, because all the memories that I have were either like, were almost like a little girl or like this very angry, pretty kind of evil person. So it was just a really weird um, back and forth between those two. Yeah, I can only imagine. Did she, Do you remember any mothering type moments? I do, totally, yeah. Um, there were moments. Um, yeah, and that made the whole thing way more confusing. Whenever I want to explain trauma or things like this to people, I want to just, all the words I keep saying are complicated. It's complicated. Like I can't, it's not bad or good. Like it's just complicated. Yes. And I always like to say all of it is valid and okay. Like all of the emotions, because I think I know I myself, when I think back and I'm like, I had moments where I fell down and Lisa like picked me up and held me and put a bandaid on my knee. And I'm just like, you can't think that because then none of the bad stuff is real and you're a liar and like all the stuff. And it's like, Hey, no, all of it's okay. All of it they is can okay. coexist for sure. Yeah. yeah. What did you use to cope besides signing up for everything and staying late at school? Yeah. But like, what other things did you do to cope through while you were growing up? Oh yeah. I remember being a little girl and just having been abused and having to like being forced to abuse my sister. And I remember just being like, so I just felt, I can't even describe the feeling. It was a horrible feeling. And I felt like a monster. I was like six or seven. And um, I remember just laying in bed and like, I knew that it wasn't over. I knew it was going to happen. And I mean, I didn't know that it was going to happen for like another 11 years, but yeah. Um, I and the songs maybe kind of cheesy but I and I talk about it in my book but I remember looking seeing the moon in the window and I just held my own hand and I looked at the moon and I was like so there was just something in me that knew that it this wasn't it um and like and I truly believe that I've I've always been gifted with the ability to be like okay this is where I am right now but I'm not my circumstances so wow. yeah. like, this exists right now, but we're going to be out of here at some point. So it's going to be okay. So that was, I'm so grateful. I don't know where that came from, but. That's well, because you needed it. Yeah. That was <laughs> like, you know, something that was given to you because you were going to need it. Yeah. Jeez. I've, I've, that took me till I'm 39 years old and I'm just right. <laughs> trying to, to say to I am not my circumstances. <laughs> like, And I mean, I think you really have to have that ability. And I'm like, again, I'm 42 and I've just learned it um, because otherwise, uh, I mean, both Sarah and I have, have had like suicidal ideations and, and really like wanting to do that because you can't see past mm -mm. the situation and that so the, moment, that, it's like that, that moment, moment is where you right live. There is like mm -hmm. so big and you're like, there's no way, there's no fucking way this is ever going to go away or be done. Right. Yeah. So it's so amazing to me that you were able to see that or feel that. Um, and thank God. Yeah. Did you ever get into like any drugs or alcohol because to try to numb or anything or? Just like I, typical teenage yeah, shenanigans. I honestly did not. I went in the opposite direction and I was like, ter I was terrified of anything. I mean, I hung out with 
with kids that weren't great, whatever. And I, but I did not like it. And I, I really avoided anything that made me feel even a fraction of what I felt at home. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Absolutely not. I'm surrounding myself with so much light. We will not let any darkness in. Um, And again, I, that, that was like well into my twenties. And I was finally like, Hey, like all of my furniture, like all my pillows had to be white and like airy. And I was like, we can stop this. Let's bring some like <laughs> in a little bit. It's okay. There just needs to be a balance. But that, yeah, I definitely went in the opposite direction as a kid. That's amazing. You are such, like, your story has me completely, my mind is blown. Um, that God, you're just such a, like, I, I know we're like on like a video call, but I can mm-hmm. feel your mm-hmm. energy. I can too. And you are so light and you are yeah. just so such a beautiful human being. And it's such a gift to the world that you've like been able to see that. Yeah. Um, I'm getting all teary. I know. Um, to see that there was going to be something bigger for you in, in life. And um, God, could you imagine if there's like some kids out there who hear your story, who are like living it right now or mm-hmm. have lived it and are coming out of it? Because that's the sort of thing that people just, again, don't yeah, talk about. Don't talk about. That's why. And those are the things yeah. that have to be talked about. Wow. Um, I found the title. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was called A Child Called It, but it's probably. Oh my God. Yes. I was going to say it's probably aging me. No, I read it. <laughs> I read it. Um, yeah, but I've read like that and all, there was a couple sequels, but it was some of the, um, I was, I don't know why, but I was obsessed with it because it was some of the most descriptive abuse Mm -hmm. that I have ever heard of in my life. And I just, and I read it again. Like I couldn't Mm -hmm. fathom in my mind, people doing this to other people as you were talking, um, Katie, I was thinking like, dear God, I was like, (laughs) it's a wonder you're not one of those we were huge true crime fans yeah so um i could i could have been like a hundred percent in your court if you had like woke up in the middle of the yeah. night and just, and just like just, both yeah. of them right because i mean jesus like come on like yeah. I, I mean it's just incredible to me the grace you had i don't know Are that they... you can even speak their names too i'm guessing that's not their real names there is not the real names but i do in real life like call them by their names but just for these purposes i do um Tim's actually, he's a police officer. No. Um, get the fuck no, out of here. Nope. Get the f- nope. I was thinking they were in jail or dead, okay? Yeah, no. no. So, yeah. So as a kid, they, we were told that there were like recording devices in the house. The- you could, or like videos, like you could not. And, and I believe, like, I believe that that's absolutely possible. Um, The phone, they, they were like, the phones were tapped. And I don't know if it was real or not, but. I know that that's what we were told. So we like, you can't talk about it um, or else you'll be abused. And I mean, and I do remember like writing little notes and like in code because I thought that I was going to get murdered. (laughs) Oh my God. So you feared for your life. Oh yeah. Uh, Yes. Yes. Did they threaten your life? Um, so there's one. I remember having a dream. There's like two parts of that answer. One, I believe that they absolutely did during the abuse. Um, but I have limited memories of like full memories of the abuse. But the second part of that answer is I, I remember having a dream um, where Tim, like there was an ax in our garage in real life. And Tim like would, I had a dream that he brought it in and he killed all of us. And I remember the next morning being like, mom, I got, I had this scary dream about dad, like killing us with the ax. And I came home from school that same day and the ax was sitting in front of a door in our house, like in the hallway. What the fuck? And I remember being like, mom, why is this ax in here? She's like, it's always been here. What are you talking about? <gasps> so like, <laughs> yeah. So that was a lot. So the way was So you were very, also going through some gaslighting then too. Oh, it was so and much major emotional abuse. You know, it's wow. It's amazing what the human brain can do to be able to survive that and to find your light and to still live that outside of the home. Dissociation I think helped. Dissociation. Yeah, I do a lot of that. <laughs> 
No, really, like you, that that I do get that. I've done yeah. that multiple times. I do it a lot, and um, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know it was a thing. I thought I was actually losing my mind, and then I told yeah. my therapist, I was like, "Something's wrong with me. I think I'm I'm losing it because there are times when I feel like I'm outside of my body and I'm not like attached to what's and happening, can, and I'm watching what's happening." Yeah. But I'm not a part of it. I'm not a part of it. And she's like, oh, no, that's just dissociation. Like, I get that. I was like, oh, well, thank God I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about um, how you like came. So you said you were journaling with your first partner Mm -hmm. and then um, you, you know, you were looking for and I had that same related experience. Mine was a long time ago at Barnes and Noble sitting on the floor being like, there's not one fucking book about being married to someone with bipolar that isn't depressing as fuck. Mm -hmm. So I felt hopeless. And so probably you were feeling hopeless. And is that like when you were like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it better or differently? Yes, absolutely. And that was, um, that's one of the things that I love about my book is that I didn't write it like 10 years after my whole feeling journey. I wasn't like, okay, let's, I'm going to, let's sit down and try to remember what happened during that time and write about it. Everything, all of the tools and the tips that I give in my book were actual things that I developed like in real time while I was in the thick of it. And I would be like, okay, I'm freaking out about this today. I tried this. That didn't work. I tried this. Oh my God. Oh yes. Awesome. This worked. Let's start practicing it more. Um, And so that's one of the things I think makes it really unique. Um, And yeah, at that same time, I was like, but again, it needs to be conversational and approachable and lighthearted so that, and and one of the things that I do want to clarify is that I talk about um, like the things that we've talked about during this, some of the heavier, like the more difficult parts of the actual trauma I do talk about, but I really don't include, I mean, I would say that's probably like, 20% 20% max of the book is the actual details of the abuse. Everything else is about moving forward because that was really important to me as well. Right. That's- well, and I'm sure that people who are reading your book, you don't need to tell them that they lived it. So now they want to know like, what am I going to do now? How the freak do I get on with this? And how do I, will I ever enjoy being touched ever? No. We're, we're obsessed with this throat chakra. You yes. just fucking busted it yes, out. We're like bust- you go girl. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and you know what? Funny thing about that, I used to get strep throat even as an adult, like multiple times a year. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jeez, that's so. so. I get goosebumps every time, like yep. I hear something like that, where it's so connected. Your body and mind are so connected. Oh, true. Well, I know that I was in fight or flight mode for eighteen years, <laughs> essentially. And as you both know, like when that happened all everything like your digestive system is kind of put on hold and so I was I remember getting to college and being like and meeting and living with other people and being like wait it's not normal that I'm physically in pain and ill every time I eat that's so weird um and it was just because I had like my basically my digestive system never properly developed because it just couldn't um so that's one thing. And then the other thing I just, I would love to talk about dissociation a little bit for a second, because I worked as a personal trainer for a few years, like after college. And I remember one of the things that I noticed were so many women would get very emotional with, because we did um, like Olympic weightlifting and they would, and, and myself included, I would, when I did squats, there were times where I would just start crying while doing like heavy squats and there were multiple women and that I would train that would get emotional during these specific movements and one day I was trying to work out and I kept trying different movements but I I just felt so weak and I could not even move my body through them and Mm -hmm. I was like finally I just heard myself like lay down and meditate about this because we got something to say yeah (laughs) I laid down and I just like thought to myself and all of a sudden I had this image of me working out, but like my, me floating above my body. And I realized that I dissociated my entire life. I had no idea that that's what I was doing. And so for a really long time, I was really dedicated to working specifically with trauma survivors and teaching us all how to like move our bodies in a way that we remain connected to them. And, and I think that's such an important part to experiencing pleasure too and physical intimacy mm-hmm. is just being able to stay in your body when you're participating in it. 
I'm actually going through, it's going to take me like two years total <laughs> to, to become a yoga therapist. So and same kind of thing, not um, physical therapy, but more of like trauma survivors and addiction, you know, for addiction and things like that. So I totally get that whole like moving your body and, and yo Amy and I both teach booty yoga, which is all about like moving that energy through your body yep. and getting all the shit out and like shaking it off. And I try to explain, like I just recorded one today that the reason you tear up, but the reason you mm -hmm. laugh, the reason you cry, the reason you're pissed is because you're moving it. Yep. Like the trauma mm -hmm. stores itself in your body. And that's where some of that pain comes from. And when you move it out, it hurts. But yeah. at the end, you feel like you're like flying. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is so, I think it's all women should participate in it because whether you've experienced trauma or not, we all went through some version of puberty and and I remember like developing very early and I'm a kid, I'm like 11 or 12. And all of a sudden adult men are like looking at me in ways that make me uncomfortable as well as the boys in my class, which I know almost all women have experienced. And so, and on top of that, I was also experiencing abuse at home. And so my body just became this place where I was like, get out, get out. And I think whether or not you've experienced abuse, I think so many women have that experience at pu puberty and they leave their bodies without even realizing it and then like never learn how to come back. So I think that learning how to do these movements is very important. My daughter said something really, really interesting yesterday. When doesn't she? I know. She's amazing. She's 11 and, and, and oh. she's developed and she was telling um, my boyfriend and I about a boy that she liked and it was a different boy from the boy two weeks ago and whatever. And she was like, listen, I was like, Lily, I was like, how, where is this coming from? But she goes, listen, I've got to get all this in before middle school and they start sexualizing me. So at this point, at least now I know they like me for me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, <laughs> I was like, she's fucking 11. I was like, okay, girl. Okay. okay. Cause she's like, <laughs> she's like, this is my last chance. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So, you know, there, there's something to be said about, um, the openness of, uh, I, I'm both Sarah and I are working in our homes about being very open about mm -hmm. these things. And it, at times it makes them uncomfortable and at times they can say things like they, like my daughter just did. And I think it's so important because I never want her to feel ashamed of the fact that, yeah, she has a big chest and a booty, like, right. um, it just, that's just the way it is. And no, they should not look at her like that, right. you know, and, and that's okay to, you know, be, feel that way to feel protective, but also at the same time, find that balance of like, you know, enjoying your body too, and not feeling shame. Mm -hmm. God. Yeah. Road I've got ahead. Jeez. Yeah. Well, oh, gee, I know <clears throat> because it, it, when you think about the road behind us, yeah. And how hard it was, you know, for all of every girl growing yes. up, like you yeah. said, experiences some sort, some sort of, something. of some kind of body associated trauma. Mm -hmm. And it could be something just as like as somebody sexualizing them that's or older. Sometimes or, it's like, you know, we, we can take it away from heavy trauma. It could just be like someone makes a comment one yeah. time, mm -hmm. some old man or whatever, or some guy walking down the street says something to you one time that shit can stick in your head. Yep. Then when you're being intimate with someone, that's what comes in your head. Mm -hmm. And your partner's like, what? That was like 15 years ago. What is wrong with you? But I don't know how to explain it. It's hard to mm -hmm. get rid of that once somebody puts it out there. Yeah. So, okay. Talk to us about your healing process. Like we know you started and you were journaling and kind of working through it. And then like what steps, like how did you get to a point where, I mean, I'm sure you're still, like you said, you're not all the way there. I don't think anybody can ever get right. completely to a point where they're like, I'm over it. <laughs> like that just doesn't happen. <laughs> but like, how did you even get to a point where you, you're like, okay, it's okay for me to experience pleasure. Wow. So I feel like we keep putting the, the self-pleasure topic off. I do want to say God, one thing shit. about this, but I'm getting yeah. back to it. It's segue. <laughs> it's a segue, I promise. Um, okay. But the one thing as far as like the steps to healing was one of the very first thing that I did when I was working through my trauma was identifying 
all the voids that I had because of the trauma, um, such as like, I call it parent void or the safety void. And it's these like holes that feels like a hole in me that it was a result of not receiving something that I needed in that moment. Um, and then identifying the ways that I had been trying to fill those voids with like other people or things or a bowl of ice cream and being like, no, let's, and I, I talk about it in my book. I say like, um, I think make your voids your best friend or cozy up to your voids. And like literally after you've identified them, do not be afraid of them because it is scary to be like, oh, I am, I have a, this deep gaping wound where I wish that I had parents. Um, and that's hard to look at and it's hard to think about, but like be like, hey, this void's my best friend. Let's talk to it. What do you need? What do you need to feel good and heal? Um, and then start doing those things for yourself. So that was vital in my healing journey. Um, but back to self-pleasure. Mm. <laughs> um, the- yes, yes, get it, girl. <laughs> Let's do this. So we talked about pelvic bowl healing meditations. We talked about moving your yoni guardian and then um, – and then I talk about, and the other meditation that, that I include in the book is connecting to mother nature, connecting to the earth, grounding yourself and allowing mm-hmm. like the nutrients, just imagining the nutrients to come up in like this beautiful stream of light through your yoni into your pelvic bowl, which is mm-hmm. so difficult to actually imagine as a trauma survivor. Cause you're like allowing something to enter you. Um, but it's all in your control you're imagining it, it can be and feel like whatever you want to imagine it, it is. Um, but it's so powerful in reframing receiving and allowing yourself to actually receive. So that was a huge meditation. Um, and then after that was the actual practice of masturbating. And what I really, I, and I talk extensively about it, um, But one of the things that I had to do was I couldn't just um, dive into imagining being with a person. It was like, that's not good for me. So I literally started by touching myself in ways that felt good. And then imagining like, ooh, that's my favorite outfit. Like imagining myself in my favorite outfit, like me feeling good. Imagining like a seascape or whatever I I felt was beautiful. Um, And then I built up to imagining things that I would love to try, like someone like kissing my nipples or like and rubbing mm-hmm. my clit or like whatever it was that felt good to me, kissing my neck, like just imagining that, but it wasn't a person. It could just be like lips or whatever I want or just the sensations. Um, and then gradually build up from there to the point. And I mean, this took months. It took, it can take however long it takes for someone. Um, and then eventually I was able to imagine a person, um, but it, that took work. It took work for me and it, to be able to imagine having, like to actually be turned on by the image of like a, just a consensual sexual encounter with a guy. I was just like, I'm so bored right now. I can, I'm never gonna <laughs> orgasm. Like I would think that, but it took practice because I was re- literally rewiring my brain. Yeah. And I am happy to say that I genuinely, and I am not lying when I say this, I can masturbate and think about a wonderful consensual experience with a guy now anytime I want and I love it so great such an amazing feeling to to have gotten here how powerful that you rewired your brain think about that that's freaking so possible it's so possible but it's so hard it's so hard and that's what people don't want to like they don't want to do do it I'm not saying they don't want to do it shouldn't have said that they it's too hard to do scary to do the hard work and it takes time just like being in a relationship it's all hard work it doesn't none of this comes easy and the fact you rewired your entire 18 years of your brain and those formidable years is just fucking beautiful yeah Uh, incredible yeah i I mean, I have to say when you said like, you were, I'm bored, I, you know, what, <laughs> nothing's going to happen. Like I, we talked about that oh last my week, gosh. actually. That's like half of like, it, it, <laughs> b- before we started talking about sex and talking about what we enjoyed and talking about self-pleasure and being verbal about it, which has only been in the past couple of weeks, Katie, like we like, are we so just, brand new to this. We're very new on this journey. <laughs> very, very new. 
I know. I so that. we're we're like super excited about it. Yeah, um, we're like three weeks in. Yes, this is just a couple weeks. Um, but we talked to Lauren Joyce, which I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she is a sex and relationship expert, and she kind of she says the same thing, like that you're saying too. Like you, when I, when you were talking about self pleasuring and imagining things that were pleasurable but not sexual, sexual, mm -hmm. like that's she talks about that too. Like being in pleasurable moments all day allows you to be in your body to feel that pleasure sexually. Mm -hmm. And so you can't be fully empowered until you're sexually empowered too. So this, like this whole full circle of like you saying that too, it's like, okay, like this is a real thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's because, so incredible. Because on top of other trauma that we have all gone through, we also have the trauma as women of work harder, do more, yeah. don't sleep. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know, how are you going to ever get to the fucking top if you take a break? Right. That sort of thing. And, and put that in front of you. Yeah. 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 And, and when you're doing that, how do you find pleasure in anything? Because you're just like, so you're not, yeah, you're not there, which is why when I used to have sex, it was like, good God, can we get this over with? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like, so I can move on to the next thing on the list mm -hmm. just because that's really how we are wired right. just from, just from cu culture and so like just social things that we go around. So, so then, okay. We've been asking everybody this question, all women, this question that we've been talking to, to try to get like a gauge on how many women are actually experiencing or have experienced this. Have you had a consensual sexual experience? but you didn't really like you consented, but you like totally were not into it and like really didn't even want to do it. Mm. I mean, besides your abuse, because yeah. So like later on with a right. consensual adult, were you like, Oh, I got too far. I have to just finish this situation. Mm. I would say I've, I, I have never done quite that because I, um, because, well, I've always tried really hard to avoid that because I would, will start crying if I feel like I'm, like, being forced to do it. Even if I'm not, I will, like, start bawling. Um, I will say, so I, I all have always, um, I won't say always, but I have, for the most part, just been like, I, I need to stop. Let's stop. Good. Um, however, I 100% know that I have been, like, I'm not really into it, but like we haven't had sex in like three weeks. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's just, because we're in a relationship, like we have to have sex, right? We right. have to. So, right. let's do it. Uh, yes. 100% I have done that. Yes. And that is the one thing that women are saying to us over and over is nobody's ever said that to me. Like, I thought I was the only one. Right. Mm. So that's why we're asking everybody because we're like, it's not just us. Like, it's not just yeah. you. It's there's, I think this is pretty common. Yeah. And I, and I think something you said early in the um, interview or podcast, whatever we're doing here, <laughs> you have our discussion over cake pops and coffee. I mean, listen, Katie, you have me like, so my mind is so blown. I'm trying to keep yeah. bringing myself back down so that I can uh, properly have this conduct this podcast. But um, <laughs> you said something that just kind of resonated with me that is so important. And it's like, you've done this work. And you're at this spot, but it's not every time. Like you still have those, like, and that's what I think is difficult for men to understand is that, yes, we've, we've gotten over this hurdle, but like A, B and C could have happened today with me and triggered all of these other things that maybe I haven't worked on as much or just yeah. whatever it is. It's not, it doesn't mean that you're fit. I don't want to say fixed, but it just means that you're having different experiences Right. And, and, and like, it's everywhere now, like everybody's posting all over social media, like healing is not linear. And, yeah. and, and it's a hundred percent true. That is a complete truth, but I don't think people completely understand that, Sexual. that aren't going through yeah. some sort of healing journey. Right. So yeah. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, so a couple things, I think as far as the people who are on their own healing journeys, I think we even struggle to believe that because that's just becoming a thing now is like healing isn't linear and all of the emotions are okay. And you're not like, 
it's going to be hard. Sharing your story is going to be empowering, but also horrible sometimes, you know, like we're finally starting to have those conversations, which is awesome, but we didn't for a long time. So we still have it in our head that there's like a certain way to heal. Um, as far as people who aren't on that journey, I have found it to be actually for my, in my experience, it has been more difficult to be with like my, I found my partners to extra cautious. Um, oh, and interesting. that has yeah. been annoying to be honest. Yeah. Cause I'm like, yeah. I'm telling you that I want to like make out against this wall and I want to like walk right now. Like I'm telling you, please. But like, they're like, but there's a part of them that's like, I really want to make sure that you're okay. And I'm like, I'm not mm-hmm. a child. I'm an adult woman telling you yeah. to have sex with me right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, if you want to, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I but, mean, if you're into that or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm down with being kinky right now. Let's go. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, so that's been something that I've struggled with sometimes in the past, has been overly cautious. Um, and I think it has been difficult to be, you know, I mean, this is a, can be a whole other conversation, but mm-hmm. dating people who have experienced something, who have also experienced trauma can uh. be really amazing, but also I think sometimes it can be a lot and it, both people really need to be in a, in a space where they are committed to healing and working through their stuff mm-hmm. um, and allowing another person in while they do that. Um, but it can be difficult to date someone who hasn't had any of those experiences either. Um, because to be honest with you, there's sometimes where I've dated someone and they're complaining about their their dad because they want to hang out with him too much. And I'm just like, I can't, I'm sorry, but I cannot listen to you talk about this. That makes complete sense. So do you have any apprehension around having a family of your own someday? Oh, Yes. Wonderful question. (laughs) Such, I believe the universe presents you with things, um, at the exact right time. And this is actually, I just turned 30. Um, so now I am thinking about that more than I ever really have ever before. And, um, one of the biggest fears, I have so much love, so much love to give. Um, but the funny thing is when I think about having kids, the first thought that comes up is like, oh, I'm going to resent them. I'm going to have them and I'm going to think I want them and then I'm going to hate them and I'm going to resent them. And I know that part of that, a big part of that comes from my own mother, like Lisa, because she told us like, oh, kids ruin my life. They will ruin your life. Ugh. You're like everything. Yeah. Um, or they'll t- or your husband will, like she really did kind of play into a victim role where she wasn't but like I was convinced that your husband will abuse you you'll be a victim you'll give up your job you'll have these kids you'll be stuck raising these kids by yourself even if you're married so I just I have I have a lot of those um stories that are not true but they're in my mind so yes that's a whole nother yeah that's a whole (laughs) nother level of stories to unpack I mean Yeah. yeah we do have those from what have been told to us. And I'm just realizing that now, like some of those things that mm-hmm. that's why I believe what I believe mm-hmm. or feel the way I feel about certain things. Um, and Sarah and I were talking about recently, like changing the narrative because really what it is, is people love to complain about their partners. Yeah. And that's how women bond. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how, you know, we're like workaholics and, you know, we don't sleep and we complain about our partners. Like none of that's pleasure. No, it's, it all sucks. That's all shit. Like, and that's how we become friends and just not us specifically, but like how women in general, collectively we, and just saying like, I want to change that story because I don't want to live like that. Mm -mm. Not that you can't complain when it's time to complain. It's just like, you know what I mean? Right. But that can't be your only, like I've had friends where like, that's literally the only conversation that you have between each other is like to bitch about something that's, um, relatable to both of you, yeah. you know? So that's why like when people work together, they talk a lot about bitching about work and right. when, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So yes, you're, you're bringing up some amazing thoughts like to changing yeah. the narrative and yeah. And the stories that you've Jesus. been told. Yeah. So, uh, back 
to, I know we're going backwards, but question I have for you with the dissociation and then just like trauma, do you ever find yourself, and I'm only saying this because I have recently realized I'm doing this, where you like something triggers you and you like, like almost like it's like you have this panic and you're like, oh fuck. And you like forget that you're not there. And you mm. think this situation is going to be the same. Like you know a PTSD I mean? response? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, there's there's a couple, like, even when I hear um, there'll be kids playing outside and one will start screaming and I cannot, like, immediately. And I know that, that it's fine, but I find myself, like, I get angry. Like, I have this, like, angry response and I have to, like, calm myself down and be like, hey, it's okay, yeah. that kid's fine. They're just yeah. fine. Um, That's a perfect example. Yeah. yeah. Do you, have you found methods? And I mean, I don't want you to give away your whole book, obviously. <laughs> but have you found methods that because getting out of a PTSD response takes it like from actually reliving the experience to a place of you can remember it, but you're not going to relive it every time something happens to trigger. Do you yes. have what have you done to to try to get yourself to some some semblance of that? So in my book, I talk about two types of triggers. The one is like, I'm triggered right now and I Mm -hmm. can feel myself totally leaving the body and about to like freak out and like how to kind of work myself back to myself in those, in that exact moment. Um, and, and then the second one that I talk about is I've been triggered and I, left like I didn't I maybe I wasn't able to catch myself but I'm gone and now it's been like three days and I can still feel that I'm not completely connected to myself and how to get back and the main thing that I talk about because I've those are honestly scarier for me because sometimes it feels like I've left myself and I don't know when or if I'm coming back and that can be scary and so what I talk about in that moment is um I call it choose a meeting spot and you can visualize yourself. And for me, it's a pier on a little lake. And I just go and I sit there and I talk to myself. I'm like, hey, I tell me what scared you. And like, I won't be there, but I'll, I can hear it. It'll be like, hey, this happened. And like, you walked in this situation and then people were mean and you didn't like, you let that happen. Now I don't want to be here or whatever. And I will be like, okay, I'm sorry. I'll talk myself through it. And I'll be like, I'm going to be at this pier every day. For the next five days or for however long it takes and whenever you're ready come back to me and like mm-hmm. and you will and I will do that for however many days it takes and it usually only takes about three but that choosing a meeting spot and just letting myself know like I'm here whenever you're ready I'm not forcing you to come back but it's safe whenever you're ready is been really monumental for that uh, you are a wealth of knowledge thank you so much for sharing your story with us it is not uh well, nothing is easy, right? Nothing that like is good is easy for like when we want to tell our stories to help other people. And that's what you're doing. And I am sure there's God, so many people out there who have found healing listening to you. Like I, I'm blown away. If you heard of the book, Man's Search for Meaning, no. it's written by a Holocaust survivor. It's an old book. It's from the sixties, but it's written by a Holocaust survivor. And he talks about how he was locked in this, whenever they would like, um, misbehave or get in trouble, they would lock them in these boxes where they couldn't sit up. They were, they had to lay down. So they were locked in these boxes for days, weeks, whatever, sometimes. And then they'd be let out. And he, the way he survived it, cause most people would, would die in those boxes because of the psychological trauma mm-hmm. that goes along yeah. with it too, mm-hmm. that he would imagine himself somewhere else. And he would imagine himself living these beautiful experiences and doing things with his family when he gets out of here or just like he just um, like basically used his brain to take him somewhere else. And just like hearing you talk about this, it just further like solidifies the thought that we can do this. Like we can fight through anything. We can live through anything. And, and especially that part you talked about rewiring your brain, that's mm-hmm. just, that's such a powerful testament to the fact that you can move forward. We can, we can move forward. It's hard work, but you can do it. And I think so many times those coping mechanisms now are, get a bad rap and we're like, now you have to correct like dissociation, for example, they're like, that's bad. Don't do that. But it was, it's actually the most incredible and powerful survival. Mm-hmm. To the one I don't want people to 
totally bash that or, or beat themselves up for using those in the moment. No, no. It's how you survive that's at that yeah. moment. Katie, do you have any other thoughts for us? The last thought I would love to say, and I just, that's, this is the main thing that I want everyone to get from my book is that um, I am not offering any like crazy secrets or tools. The, I am just reminding everyone that they have all of the tools within themselves because we do. Um, everything that I talk about in my book, I like somehow got from within myself and that everybody has the power to do that. So um, I hope Beautiful. that everyone knows that and believes it and can continue with their healing journey knowing that. You're incredible. Really incredible. Thank you so much for coming on here to talk to us. Thank you for and- having me. We know our audience is going to just... We're going to put a link up to both yes. your website and uh, Amazon for your book. Yes. Guys, go out and buy cake, pops, and coffee. All right. Thanks, Katie. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, Join our fan club at patreon.com slash unqualified therapists, Inc. Follow us on Instagram at unqualified therapists, where you will find our link tree to all things here at the UT. If you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss, email us at unqualified therapists at gmail.com. Until next week, warrior. Hold on. We're going to make it.